Good morning. Please join me in turning to uh, 1 Corinthians 15. We will be reading from the English Standard Version. And if you need a Bible or need to borrow it, need to take one, um, there are some in the back for you. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we should all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. If you've been following with us through this ancient letter, 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul's letter to a very young church, less than five-year-old church that he had planted uh, in, um, in ancient Greece on the Mediterranean. If you've been following along with us for the last several months, you might remember that the introduction, the foundation to Paul's letter was the message of the cross, the crucifixion. It laid the foundation to everything that he's been saying throughout these chapters. And now at the conclusion of his letter, he talks about the message of the empty tomb. They're like sentinels. They're like bookends in this ancient letter. The, the resurrection at the end, but the cross was at the beginning. You know, last week we talked about resurrection and your body. But today we're going to talk about resurrection and your work. Since Christians do not believe in vain, which is the point Paul has been trying to make throughout chapter 15, because of resurrection, since we do not believe in vain, then we do not work in vain. And Paul summarizes everything he's been saying about the resurrection of the dead. And we looked at all of this last week, but he summarizes what he's been saying in verses 54 and 55, when the perishable puts on imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, and he quotes the prophet Isaiah, death is swallowed up in victory. And then he quotes the prophet Hosea, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? It's a victory chant. He's teasing death. He's taunting death. Where is your power now? But then, in a very interesting way, Paul concludes... He says in verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You see, the concept, the message, the Christian message of resurrection, bodily, material resurrection of your body, not only your soul, and of all creation, the restoration of all things. 
It brings lasting meaning to your work in a profound way. Resurrection brings meaning to our work in this life. And today we're going to talk about the purpose of work and the value of work and finally the redemption of it. The purpose of work in this world, the value of it, and the redemption of work. Now, the purpose of work, from the Bible's perspective, from the Old Testament and through the New Testament, the purpose of work is to glorify God. Maybe that sounds pietistic or very religious, uh, but it simply is true. To glorify God, to give Him the most weight in your life, to give Him the most weight in society, in culture, in all endeavors. Paul had basically said this a few chapters ago. At the end of chapter 10, he said to them, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. If you go back to the beginning and you look at Genesis chapter 2, we're told that the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And he said to the man and to the woman who created in his image, he said, be fruitful, multiply, Fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion in a good way. Work existed before sin entered the human experience. Work reflected God's work. Human work reflected God's work. Now, the work that God commissioned humanity to do is simply, in the simplest sense, His will. The work that God calls humanity to do is, is to accomplish His will. And so Adam and Eve found that God's will for them was signified, was summarized in a tree that they weren't allowed to touch. Doing God's will was represented in whether or not they could respect his wishes, his will regarding that tree. But for us, since sin has entered the world and we don't recognize God's good purposes and God's good will, we find God's will summarized in his law, the Ten Commandments. And you may know that the Ten Commandments can be reduced down to two basic categories of endeavor. Love God in all that you do, and in everything, love your neighbor like you love yourself. So to put it most simply, the Bible says that the work of God is to do the will of God in all things, wherever you are, essentially to keep his law. And so the psalmist would say in Psalm 119, your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Creation, the intentional creation it implies that there's a purpose behind your work. Because God made you, then your work belongs to the parameters of his will. And so the psalmist in another place in Psalm 40 says, I delight to do your will. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. Now, as our society has uh, secularized over the decades and over the centuries, uh, we have replaced the concept of calling or vocation with the concept of career. A career is following your dreams, pursuing your interests, seeking personal success, being whatever you want to be. And now you know this, that 
recessions and wars and injuries and sickness and conflicts delay your career. And in some cases, put a complete end to it. Destroy your career. Some of you know that. Now, having cancer in the past several times has taken me away from my work, from my daily routine, meetings, plans, projects, oversight, reporting to other people. At one point, cancer took me away from my daily job for three months. Calling is different. And based on an old Latin word, there's another word we, we use. It says it's called vocation which means to call. Calling is pursuing God's intended path for you, pursuing God's intended path for maximizing all that he has invested in you. And you know, some of you know this, that even through tragedies and unemployment and injuries and losses, your calling still survives. And in many of these things, your calling will thrive like it doesn't when it's not under pressure. And I could tell you that in the past, having cancer has enabled me to be a more sensitive pastor. The Bible's view of work doesn't dismiss a career, but it highlights calling as the emphasis of why we're each here. But some work, you know this, some work is lousy. That's a, some work is miserable. I'm thinking of every job I had from high school through college. And some of you know that as you become an adult and go out into the world, the lazy, miserable work doesn't stop. Inside and outside of the home, in your career, in society, some of it's lousy, miserable. Some of it seems to lead to no meaningful end. Some of it leads to bad ends. You're right. This is why... The Christian message of resurrection is so essential to humanity and to the world. Resurrection establishes your work. Resurrection establishes and protects the value of human work. In a fallen world where sin reigns, where entropy, right, the, the winding down of everything is the norm, is the rule, we wrestle with the reality of toil. Toil is the good work that God designed us to do gone amok because of entropy, because of human sin. And so the, teachers in the teacher in Ecclesiastes said, so I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. We know that toil can frustrate our plans, right? Toil can frustrate your career. Toil can end your career, but it cannot mean the end of you. Toil can end almost every type of endeavor you pursue in this life, but toil cannot end you. And so Paul says in verse 58, once again, therefore, the therefore is important. In light of everything he's been saying about the resurrection of the dead, therefore, be steadfast. In the Lord, your labor is not in vain. In the Lord, your labor is not in vain. As we sang the gospel hymn just a few minutes ago, my work, it will not be in vain. How many hymns and choruses do you know that help us express the concept of work? Very few. That's why I asked Steve to help us sing that today. 
My work, it will not be in vain. We labor unto glory until God's kingdom comes. Now, Paul was most likely implying gospel-related work. Gospel-type, Christian-type work when he says your labor, your work in the Lord. And so some of you have, and some of you should, consider some form of gospel-centered work and vocation. Now, not everybody has to be a preacher. There are, so many, there are limited, limitless ways to serve in gospel-oriented work in this life. But all of us, guided by the will of God, can pursue good work in almost any field. Listen, there should be no distinction of sacred work versus secular work. If you do not work for a church or a Christian ministry, you still do sacred work wherever God has placed you. We don't, we don't distinguish between work that is secular and work that is sacred when we work in the Lord. When the wisdom of God, the theology of the cross, the theology of the resurrection guides us in every endeavor that we do. If you are in Christ, that's, that's the phrase that the, the New Testament uses for every believing Christian who follows, who follows Jesus. If in Christ you are, then your labor for him is not meaningless. So we need, for instance, we need business people who value the customer above the bottom line. We need artists and authors and writers to interpret the human experience by the wisdom of God with the theology of the cross as the wisdom of God and the theology of the resurrection as the power of God for humanity. We need parents and we need teachers to nurture and guide and train children. We need mechanics and dentists who don't rip us off and still do good work. Tim Keller and Kathy Leary Alsdorf in their very helpful book, Every Good Endeavor, say this about all of human work redeemed by God. In Genesis, we see God as a gardener. And in the New Testament, we see God as a carpenter. No task is too small a vessel to hold the immense dignity of work given by God. So pursue the value of good work in the Lord and consider your calling as more essential, as more essential than your sense of career. A Christian's faithful labor through toil is a sign to everybody else in her life or his life that entropy is not eternal. Your good work for Jesus, if you're a Christian, is a sign, is a witness, is a foretaste that God is coming back to restore all things because people will see that you are laboring for someone else that you are laboring unto glory, that your future bodily resurrection makes sense of all that you do now. Up until this point, everything Paul has been saying has been negative. Don't do this with your body. Don't do that to other people's bodies. Don't do this in a court of law. Don't do this culturally with food. All because of your coming resurrection, your body matters. 
At this point, it's positive. Because of, your con- because of your coming resurrection, this is all the wonderful stuff you get to do as a foretaste of Christ's return to redeem you, to restore all things. So pursue the value of good work and consider above and beyond your career, which may be a very good thing. What is your calling by God? And sometimes our careers and our callings overlap. And sometimes they don't, but that's okay. Now, some of our work is truly, as Ecclesiastes said, vanity. Some of our work really is like chasing after the wind. Pointless, hopeless, getting at nothing, gaining nothing. And this simply is the work that is pursued with no view of resurrection in mind. The work that we pursue without realizing and hoping in the promises of God to restore us completely. You know, death is looming, right? Death's looming power is that it terminates your work for our purposes today. The power of death is that it will stop whatever good work you're doing. Not just the bad stuff, the good stuff death will bring an end to. And so it challenges whether or not there is even any meaning to what we do, even the best of what we do. But Paul shows that death, although it is a natural phenomenon, death is the result of a moral problem, a natural phenomenon because of a moral problem. What seems like an out-of-place sentence in this entire chapter is verse 56, but it was so skillfully planted there by Paul the pastor. In the middle of all this talk about resurrection, Paul says the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. You see, the Bible tells us that death is the result of sin. At one point, it says that the wages of sin... The, the, the payment for it, the deserved penalty for sin is death. Death is because of sin. It is not simply because of entropy. Morally speaking, it's the result of human sin. See, we don't want to do God's good work. We despise God's good will. We reject God's perfect law. God's law, his will, is the only purely legitimate work that anybody can accomplish. There's no good work outside of doing the will of your creator and some application of it. But because you can't do that will of God, because you can't hold on to his perfect law and keep it perfectly, that very good law that God gives us, it now condemns us. Instead of life giving, as one scholar writes, it's death dealing. The law of God, which is good, deals death to us because we are lawbreakers and we cannot keep it. So your best work, it turns out, your best work will decompose into vanity if you die as a lawbreaker. And so the New Testament says something has to change to give you a new status so that God doesn't view you anymore as a lawbreaker. 
Andre Crouch made that old gospel hymn famous. Many dream their dreams and set their minds to reach their goals. What will it profit a man to gain this world and lose his soul? Only what you do for Christ will last. What is done by faith in that risen man will be redeemed beyond your death. That's the promise of the Christian gospel. What is done by faith in the risen Jesus will be redeemed and vindicated and authenticated when Jesus returns to raise you up as well. Again, Paul said in verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Son of God, pursued the good work that was revealed by the Father's will. What did he say? The Gospel of John highlights this so well. What did Jesus say about the work that he came to earth to do? I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I have not come down to pursue my dreams and aspirations and make the most of myself. I have come to do the calling of my heavenly Father. And then Jesus, the Son of Man, completed, perfected God's good work. He completed and perfected on behalf of all humanity the work that we could not do ourselves. And so he said, the night he was betrayed, the night before he was executed on a Roman cross, praying to his heavenly father, the son of man said, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And then what did he say before he gave up his spirit, suffocating on a Roman cross? He said, it is finished. And so now Paul can mock death. Paul can rejoice in victory because Christ did God's good work. Christ's resurrection was God's stamp of approval on Christ's law keeping. Think about it. If Jesus stayed in the tomb, what did that say? He said it, did, it didn't accomplish the job that he had come to do. To do. The fact that Christ rose from the dead is proof that God accepted his perfect sacrifice on our behalf. Without a resurrection of Jesus, there is no reconciliation between God and humanity. So the risen Jesus, the empty tomb, is God's stamp of approval on all the work that Jesus had done for three decades doing the perfect will of God. And your resurrection, friend, your resurrection will authenticate all the work you do now for Jesus. Regardless of what people think about it, regardless of whether people think you're doing a good job or not, your resurrection will authenticate the work, the toil you endeavor in this life for your Lord Jesus. You will not succeed in all things. And you and I will fail in many things but we still have the victory. That's Paul's confidence here. We still have the victory in Jesus Christ because Christ finished God's work and because you are in him. 
because you are in Christ, the work you do is of eternal value and it cannot be nullified by your physical death. And Paul was so confident that he would say in his letter to the church in Philippi, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will what? Will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This means when you rise again. You see, ultimately, it's not even you doing all the good work. It's Jesus doing it in you, which is why it will last forever because it's consistent with God's will. What a comfort. What a comfort to know that my failures, that even my sins can't undo Jesus' finished work. I will fail. I will sin. I will break God's law. And yet I have the victory because Jesus Christ accomplished God's work. And so you can say in your prayers and you can say in your singing and you can remind one another when toil makes work stink. You can say, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? You're basically saying, death, you want a piece of me? Okay, you get a piece of me. You get some of me, but you don't get most of me. You don't get most of me because I am in Christ. Death can have a piece of you, but it can't have all of you. It can't even have most of you. Your labors now are not meaningless because death cannot nullify them. Resurrection brings lasting meaning to your work. And sometimes, sometimes the hope of your resurrection even redeems your toil and transforms it into good work. So many things that I have complained about having to do in my life have been redeemed by the right perspective. Remember this. And while you endure your career or pursue one, seek even more than that God's calling upon you. And if you don't know what that is, there are a lot of us here who can help you figure that out. Let's pray. Our Father, we praise you for our Lord Jesus Christ, who did all your perfect will, who said doing your will was like food for him. It nourished him. It kept him going. The, the, the very law that we spit out of our mouths because we detest it and distrust you, he, he soaked it up. He digested it. Father, thank you for Jesus. Although he did your perfect will, he died like a criminal who had not done any of it. Father, it, we broke your law. We didn't want to do the good work that you designed for us. We've tried to do everything and anything but what you've asked us to do. And so we are amazed. We are absolutely blown away at what Jesus would do, that his final work was to die in a criminal's place. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. And Father, in your name, and in the name of Jesus, we ask that our labor now would not be in vain. And more importantly, importantly we ask for a new perspective, a resurrection perspective that allows us to endure with patience our toil that allows us to pursue good work, not for our own gain and for our own glory, but for your glory. We praise you for our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, who will resurrect our bodies and who will vindicate our work. 
So help us now, Father, inside of our families, inside of our coworkers, inside of our neighbors. Help us to do good work for our Lord Jesus that all may know that we love him and out of that love obey him. In Jesus' name, amen.